This is a message from the ministry of the International Baptist Church of Debrecen. For more information about our church, visit ibcdebrecen.com. Before we start, I need to admit something. I know that most people like to uh, listen to sermons online or listen podcasts podcasts when they're in the car. I don't like that. I never do that. Ever. Perhaps because I'm teaching myself, it might be, I don't know. But last week, my wife told me, last Sunday's message, you really should listen. And I was like, well, all right, all right then. So I listened last week's message and I was really amazed. So if you were not here last week, I want to encourage you, look for that message online again and listen to it because it was really, really very powerful. It was the introduction to our new series, uh, The Fear of God. And uh, we want to continue with that uh, today. Um, just for, for those who weren't there last week, short uh, um, rehearsal of what we heard last week. Fear of God is an awe or respect or awareness, uh, deliberate awareness of God's presence and of his principles. And as the Bible says in many places, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is like the... Um, the art of life. How do you do life? Well, it starts with that, that you deliberately put God at the center of your life. You put his word at the center of your life and you, you align your way of living and your way of thinking to that. That's the fear of God. So, Isvan did a great job last week. Thank you very much again, Isvan, for pointing that out. In short, you can say um, a right heart, when your heart is right with God, leads to a right life. Um, the image that uh, Istvan used last week uh, spoke very much to my heart. If you don't have the fear of the Lord in your heart, you're like a car without an engine. Okay? Now, I like cars, especially fancy cars, fast cars. But if a car doesn't have an engine, well, <laughs> it's not much use, actually. You can have it in the garage, you can look at it, but it doesn't fulfill its purpose. So, if you want your life to fulfill the purpose that God has given to it, make sure that the fear of the Lord is at the center of your being. Now, what we want to do today is look at some uh, examples, practical examples in the Bible, what the fear of the Lord looked like in the life of those people. I think the, the Bible is, is full of examples how God wants to show us what it means in practice to live in fear of the Lord. So, four people we're going to watch, and I'm sorry, ladies, it's just men today. I know the Bible is also full of women who lived in fear of the Lord. For today, it's just men. But even still, I think we can take great advantage of their examples. Uh, first of all, we will look at Enoch, the one we read about in Genesis 5. He is mentioned again in Hebrews also. And... What we see with him is, is a truly confidential walk with God. Second one is Noah. And what is exemplary in, in his way of life is his obedience to God. God speaks to him and Noah obeys. And that actually saves his life and his family's life. Third one is Abraham. And with Abraham we see a real dynamic friendship with God between the Creator and one of his creatures. And the fourth one is Moses. Um, 
where we see a real intimacy with God. Now, with each of these persons, we will read a short passage from Scripture. Um, if we take about four to five minutes per person, then we will be done in 20 minutes. Can you bear with me for that time? All right. So, let's start with Enoch then. And we will read two passages about him. The first one in Genesis 5 and the second one in Hebrews 11. Um, Enoch was the seventh after Adam. And we read in Genesis 5, verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch, listen carefully, walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God and then he was no more because God took him away. Now we continue reading in Hebrews 11, where we find another testimony about his life. Hebrews 11, verse 5 and 6. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life, so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commanded as one who pleases God. And I was very much surprised that Ife read this verse uh, already during the worship, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Okay, so we read about Enoch that he walked with God. Now, when I read these words, it reminds me actually of, of paradise, where we read that God also walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. They had confidential uh, relationship with each other. They spoke to each other like, like friends. Enoch walked with God. So when, when this, this characterizes his life, it's not, not some kind of uh, monastery kind of life where you are separated from society and all on your own. It's, it's very easy to serve God uh, honestly and, and earnestly. But in, in full life, it, it's sometimes messy and, and difficult. Now, look at what the Bible says about, about Enoch. Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Okay? Now, some of us are parents. They know what it is to do parenting. Parenting makes life messy. It's difficult. It's not easy. And you're in the middle of everyday life. So Enoch walked faithfully with God. Meanwhile, doing that, doing parenting, living life to the full, 300 years. So, um, what we learn uh, from this about, about walking with God is not that it's, it's becoming a monk or a nun or something. Of course, it can also be good for some people, but that's not what the Bible talks about. Walking with God happens in everyday life, here and now. And by the way, having sons and daughters for 300 years, whoa, I can't imagine how much children this man might have had. <laughs> Must have been a very busy father then. But... He walked with God. He, he put God at the center of his life, spent time with God, and, and he had God more important than anything else. And it's great to, to read uh, in the Bible that um, he did not see death. God, God took him away. I can just imagine God and Enoch walking alongside and 
they get so close to each other that Enoch just keeps on walking into the presence of God. This, this kind of living, walking with God, God, having God at the center of your life is a, a prophetic way of life. Enoch, by the way, is also mentioned as one of the prophets. Even the name of his son is prophetic already. It says, when this one dies, it will happen. And exactly in the year when his son died, the flood came. So Enoch truly was, was a prophet. But even with his way of life, with his walk with God, it was like a, a prophecy to the, to the society around him, especially in a time when, well, when society was truly evil, as we, as we read about the days of, of Noah. And <clears throat> living in a way like that, with God in the center of your life, can also lead to mockery by, by other people. Humiliation sometimes, or exclusion, sometimes even persecution, because, because you're different. But still, the approval of God is more important to those kind of people who work with him than the approval of people. That's what he Hebrews 11 uh, speaks about. God had taken him away because he was commanded as one who pleased God. Well, that's exactly the purpose that God intended us for, what he created us for, to bring pleasure to him. And this is what we read about this man, Enoch, who walked with God, that by walking with God, by putting God at the center of his being, he pleased God. So I believe that this life of Enoch, it, it encourages us to find that same confidential walk with God. For example, that, that we set a day, a week apart for God. In the, in the eyes of the world, that may seem like, like foolishness. Some of you may know that I, um, I work in Roma communities a lot, and many of those people struggle to survive. So uh, when they have a job, they want to make the most of it. So uh, instead of coming to, to church, they say, no, 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 I have a job now, I, I need to work, I need to earn as much money as possible. Because they don't trust that if you obey the commandments of God and that, that God will bless you more with six days work than with seven days work. Setting one day apart for God. Or, or perhaps even, even literally, um, set time apart for God to, to just make a walk. Walk into the forest, walk into nature, just you and God alone. Or you can set a time apart for, for a fast. Fasting from food, fasting from television, computer, mobile phone. Well, that's a heavy fast. Just, just spending time with God alone. You and God literally taking steps to put God at the center of your life, to refocus again on what is, what is the most important in your life. Confidential walk with God. Okay, so we go to the next one. That's Noah. Do we stay within the time frame? <laughs> Let's read from the next chapter, Genesis 6, about Noah. We read verse 9 to 15, and then also verse 22. <clears throat> Genesis 6, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked faithfully with God, same like Enoch. 
Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Now, and all kinds of other instructions are being given, but look at verse 22 where, where it says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Noah did just as God commanded him. He obeyed. When, when you read those first uh, sentences in verse 9 about, uh, about Noah, where it says that he was a righteous man, blameless among the people. Whoa, that's, that's a great testimony about this guy. When you, um, when you think of, of how you want to be remembered, just, just imagine, it's, it may sound a little, more, little bit morbid, but um, when you think of your funeral at the end of your life, what, what would you like people to say about you? How they, how they rem remember you? I once read um, a book about uh, effective leadership, and uh, this guy said, begin with the end already in mind. So think of how you want to be remembered and lead your life accordingly. So if you want to be remembered like Noah, like uh, Elizabeth was a righteous woman. She walked faithfully with God. Well, if that's how you want to be remembered, <laughs> then you better start doing that right now so people actually remember you in, in that way. Noah was a righteous man walking blamelessly. What about your life? Are you a righteous person? Are you blameless among the people that you live with? What's, what's in fact the, the thing that's, that stands at the center of your life? Perhaps you're your work that you do every day, achievements that you have made, or titles that you have gathered, riches. This man Noah, I don't know whether the word university is done yet, but still, for him, God was at the center. And when he received this message from God that he had to build an ark, it was, it was as if, well, uh, we have this expression in Dutch, I don't know if it exists, exists in English also, as if he saw water burning. It was like, this, this is impossible. He had to build an ark. And when you see those measures, 150 meters long, um, uh, 50 cubits wide, that's, that's um, 25 meters wide, and 30 cubits high, 50 meters high. That's, that's a huge ship. And this one man got the assignment to build this ship which means that he had to claim all the all the trees all the wood that was there in the area in order to start his project what what would other people say about that if he started claiming all all the available wood and god said that it was going to rain that water was going to pour down from heaven until that time rain was an unknown phenomenon phenomenon on the world it says in, uh, in Genesis 2 that it didn't rain, but God let a vapor come up from the earth to, to water the earth. Rain had never happened. 
So when God gave this assignment to Noah, Noah, water is going to pour down, so you build a boat. Uh, water pour down? What, what do you mean? This, this is an, an incredible event that has never occurred before. And when Noah started talking to this, uh, about this to other people, they must have mocked him. Noah, what are you talking about? This is, this is impossible. This has never be, happened before. Same thing, by the way, as people do nowadays when you talk about the return of Jesus Christ. What? Jesus coming with the clouds? What are you talking about? Where's he coming from? This is something we don't know. This has never occurred before. Noah got a message from God to build this ark about something that he had not seen, not experienced before. And yet, it says in verse 22, Noah did as God had commanded him. Noah obeyed God simply because of the fact that it was God who told him to do so. Not, not questioning what God said to him, not starting to bargain with God, not negotiating with him, simply obeying, doing what God says. Now, we believe that the Bible, the Word of God, is truth and is life. And living in the fear of the Lord means what, that we align our life, our thinking, our behavior with that word of God. Not just some blind faith where you, where you shut down your own intellect, but conscious, deliberate submission to what God says. Because it's God who says it, just, just like Noah. And just to make, it, to make this a little practical to, to every one of us, when it's, for example, about creation or evolution. Nowadays in schools, every, every curriculum uh, teaches evolution as if, it's, as if it's a plain fact that cannot be denied. Well, what about you when you stand up as a Christian and you say, hey, I believe that, that God created the earth. What, 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 what weighs more for you? What God says in his word or what science claims to be truth? Or when it's about time management, like I just said, we, we love to come together on one day on a, a week to spend time with each other and with God. This world tells you to run, to run on 24-7, to spend your time as efficient as you can. And the result of it is what we see, that people burn, burn out, that they, that they get exhausted, and they don't know how to connect emotionally anymore. Or when it's when it comes to sexuality, the world around you tells you to do as you like, to do as you please, to do as your emotions tell you to do, whereas the Bible tells you to protect sexuality as a great gift from God within the boundaries of marriage. So to whom do you listen? Which, which voice is more important to you, the voice of God or the voice of the world? It's a decision you have to make in a very practical way, or when it's about handling money, handling possessions. God says, treat it as if, as if you received it as a gift from God, whereas the world tells you to, with greed, to collect as much as you can. It's, it's two total different ways of life. Which voice do you listen to? Whom do you obey? I believe that when we read about this example of Noah, a man who walked with God, was blameless in his generation, he urges us to practical 
fear of the Lord. Aligning our thinking, aligning our acting, our behavior to the perspective that God has. Not just to have certain convictions, but actually acting according to it. So, we're halfway. We get to the third one, and that's Abraham. Abraham was a very special person whom God had chosen to be um, the, the forefather of the people of Israel. And in Genesis 18, we read about a very special event where we can well, look into the heart of Abraham and also look into the heart of God. It's uh, the event where Abraham starts to pray for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Those were two cities where his nephew Lot had, had gone to. And Abraham knew about these cities. That those were wicked cities. Evil people lived there. And God actually told him that he would come down and destroy those cities. Now, at that point, Abraham starts to pray. And you see uh, passion in his prayer for those cities. But also passion towards God. So let's read from that chapter from verse 16 on. And we read through Verse 27, Genesis 18, verse 16. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, now here you see what kind of a relationship God had with Abraham. Shall I hide, <coughs> sorry, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. And then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, to angels that were with the Lord. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. And then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What, what if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing. To kill the righteous with the wicked. Treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said. If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom. I will spare the whole place for their sake. And then. Abraham spoke up again. What courage must he have had? Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will, will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? And so the prayer goes on, the intercession goes on, the, the bargaining, is, if, if you want to say it that way, up till the point that they get to 10. Now, what I want to, um, to point out with this, Abraham is called um, the, the father of all the believers. He got called by God to, to leave his family, to leave his land behind, to go to a land that God would, uh, would, would show him. 
he, he literally left everything behind simply because God called him. And we read throughout the Bible that Abraham had several encounters with God, and it seems as if he had a very turbulent and very active walk with God, but let's not forget that those encounters were spread out over several years. There were also years that nothing actually happened. Still, Abraham developed a relationship with God of, of personal dealing with him as, as with a friend. And I believe that God truly saw Abraham as his friend, as we also read in this part from Genesis 18. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm to do? God, God's dealing with him as, as in a personal relationship. When Abraham starts to pray, and an intercessory prayer for those uh, two wicked cities, then, then we get a splendid insight in, in what this relationship between Abraham and God looked like. Uh, a, a personal relationship that God has with one of his creatures. And the thing is, um, this is not just something for Abraham or Noah or Enoch or later on as we see with Moses. This is something that God wants for every single person. When Abraham starts to pray, there are, there are two kind of attitudes he has towards God. On, on one hand, it's, it's very bold. Like he says to God, far be it from you to do something like this. It's as if he's saying to God, God, you, you can't do this. this. This is just not right. How, how could you? Far be it from you. Will not the judge of earth do right? So it's, it's very bold the way Abraham speaks to God. But on the other hand, we also read, now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, although I am nothing but dust and ashes. It's a very, very humble, very low attitude towards God. He, he knows very well what his position is towards God. Now, now those two, those are very typical for a life in the fear of the Lord. On one hand, dealing with God as with a friend, very bold, very personal. But on the other hand, also the humble attitude. I am nothing but dust and ashes. What I am, I am just by the grace of God. Now the amazing thing in this chapter is that God moves along with the intercession of Abraham. 50 righteous people, all right, 50 righteous and I will spare the city. Uh, wh what if five are lacking? Okay, 45 is also good. And uh, Lord, what about 30? All right, Abraham, 30. God just moves along with Abraham as he is praying for these cities. It's, it's as if God is pleased with how this relationship with Abraham has, has developed. And, and like I said, this is not just something for the great heroes of faith that we read about in the Bible. This is something for you and me also. Abraham encourages you and me here this afternoon to speak boldly with God, to speak out what's in your heart. Just don't, don't make up a show for God. When you pray to him, that you come to him with all kinds of fancy words, of all kinds of fancy ceremonies, just show him what's in your heart. He, know it's he, know, he knows it's already. It's no use to pretend before him. We just spoke this week about um, um, a lady we knew 
earlier who became very sick when she was still young and, um, and also died very young. At some point there was an interview with her uh, on television and she said, it seems to me as if God um, rather has you fighting with him than you becoming silent towards him. That you rather speak out what's in your heart, even if it's anger, even if you don't understand him, then you, you would ignore him completely. Be honest towards God. Speak up boldly to him, but also stand in awe before him, in reverence who he is. He is God, and you are not. Now, last person we look at is Moses. Um, perhaps this is the man in the entire Bible who is the closest to God. We read from uh, Exodus 33, a few verses, from verse 12 until verse 19. Exodus 33, a chapter in which, um, in which Moses is also pleading for the people of Israel, but also expresses his personal desire and delight in God. Exodus 33, we read from verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. Now, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord re replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and, and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Wow, I will do the very thing that you have asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. And then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause my, all my, my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. This is very bold to ask God, show me your glory. Wow, as a small mortal human being asking that from God. Yet we, lear we learn from the Bible that there was, there was no one so close to God as, as this Moses. However, uh, to develop a relationship like this with God, it took Moses 40 years of his life before he got up to that point. When you read in um, Numbers 12, verse 3, it says there was no one more humble, other translations have something like meek or, or gentle, than Moses. And that was the guy who earlier on had killed an Egyptian with his own hands. No one more humble 
more gentle than Moses in the entire world. Now, just to make it clear, God did not choose this Moses because of his qualities or because what he had achieved, but because Moses had learned to renounce himself. When um, Moses was leading the people of God through the desert, at some point he was up on the mountain where he met God and he got the Ten Commandments from God. And meanwhile, down in the valley, the people were sinning against God. They created an idol, a golden calf, and they committed sin of idolatry. Moses starts to intercede for, for the people, and he says, if you don't go with us, we will not go anywhere. And God accepts this pleading of Moses. Even after the sin of the people, he is still merciful towards Israel because of Moses, because he finds favor in him. Like he says in verse 17, I will do this very thing that you have asked me because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. This, this shows a, a deep intimacy that Moses had with God and God had with Moses. And that also leads Moses to ask this, this bold question, now show me your glory. He has such a deep desire for intimacy with God where his heart is fully aligned with the heart of God. And you know what? God grants even this request. Okay, not to the full. No one can see the face of God and live. But in the next chapter, you read that God passes by Moses and God sees uh, the back parts of God and God proclaims his own name. Moses gets into the presence of God. He sees the glory of God coming by. And Moses falls to the ground in deep adoration of this God, knowing that this is the closest that a mortal human being can ever get to God's heart and to God's being. Now, that, that is intimacy with God. Did, did you ever experience something like that? Being, being intimate with God. I mean, it's, it's not something like intimacy between people. When you experience that, you, in all your vulnerability, you still feel comfortable being in the presence of the other person. Now, this, this is a, a spiritual level, this, this intimacy with God. He sees me. He knows me through and through. And yet, yet he accepts me. He wants me close to him. This, this is what I was made for. This is, this is what, what, what God has created me for, that I would be close to him. Show me your glory. Let me experience that love of you at the deepest level of my being. Now, we see four people for men from the Old Testament that give us a sort of insight in what living in the fear of the Lord looks like in, in all four different aspects. When we look at these four people, there's one more name I would like to mention to you. And it's not from the Old Testament, it's from the new one. And that's Jesus, the Son of God, who became a human being just like, like you and me. In, uh, in Luke 3, verse 22, we read that uh, Jesus went out to John the Baptist to get baptized in the River Jordan. And at that point, heaven opened up and a, a sound was heard that said, you are my beloved son, in you I find joy. And for the people present there, there was no doubt that was the voice of God that confirmed Jesus in his identity. In you, 
I find joy. What God actually says with that is, this, this is how I intended people to be, like Jesus. This is how I wanted, wanted them all to be like. Living in the fear of the Lord makes that God finds joy in you, that he's pleased with you. Just like we just read in uh, Hebrews uh, 11 verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So that's, that's what life is about, pleasing God, believing him, seeking him earnestly. And you know what? When you have Jesus, when you follow Jesus, that makes you live in the fear of the Lord. That makes you please God. So seek God earnestly every day. Speak boldly with him like, like Abram also did, yet humbly and obey him simply because it's God who says it to you. And seek his heart. That's what he wants for you. And that's what will make God find joy in you. Thank you so much for lending us your ears and your time today. If your curiosity has been piqued and you'd like to learn more about our church and the work we do, please feel free to visit our website at ibcdebretson.com. Better yet, we warmly invite you to join us in person and experience our community firsthand. We look forward to welcoming you 